Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. No matter how you feel about marijuana, the drug is legal in 33 states in the District of Columbia. Now, most of them allow medical marijuana. Just 10 of those states allow recreational marijuana. Will Connecticut be next? Today, we catch up on several bills to legalize cannabis that are before the Connecticut General Assembly. Now, it's not just about collecting millions of dollars in new revenue. Some lawmakers in Connecticut see legalization as the right time to address the damaging consequences of the longtime war on drugs. We're going to learn more about efforts to implement equity laws, so to not only help minorities get into the legal cannabis business, but also wiping clean the criminal records of low-level drug offenders. It's called expungement, and we're going to learn how other states have handled this issue. How do you feel about Connecticut possibly legalizing recreational marijuana? You can join us, 860-275-7266, or on Facebook Live today. You can watch there. Also add a question below that video stream. And as always, on Twitter, at Where We Live. First, I want to welcome to our show a Connecticut lawmaker, State Senator Gary Winfield, who represents New Haven and West Haven and co-chair of the Judiciary Committee in the Connecticut General Assembly. Senator Winfield, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me again. So not the first time the uh, topic of legalizing marijuana has come up before the Connecticut General Assembly. Uh, You've been a lawmaker now for uh, more than 11 years. So what's different this year and how many bills are we talking about that are in committee uh, now? That's a very good question. And I think if you ask any of the people proposing it, sometimes we can't remember. But uh, it breaks down this way. There's a, a bill there's several bills in judiciary to deal with portions of this, but there's a bill uh, that does the legalization portion, uh, Senate Bill 1085. Uh, there's a bill that passed out of general law, and there will be a bill in um, the Finance Committee to deal with the taxation portion. Uh, so those are the, the three major parts of this that later will probably get stitched back together in some way. And what's different this year in terms of bringing up this, this uh, conversation about whether to legalize? Uh, I think part of what's different is we have a different General Assembly. Uh, As you know, we had an election last year. The numbers are different. Uh, So I think the expectation is uh, with the increase in Democrats that uh, it might be more possible to uh, move the issue. I I would say that's actually um, questionable. Uh, But the other thing that's different is the equity conversation is a lot uh, more of a conversation than it has been. Uh, at least inside the building. I think outside the building, it's always been a conversation. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, equity for a large portion portion of the show today, but I wanted to go back to something you said, uh, this uh, perception that with a Democratic majority, that this is a go, uh, that legalization will happen. You said that's questionable. Why? Uh, I think anytime you, you do anything that is as controversial as the uh, legalization of cannabis, uh, what legislators are going to do is think about uh, how that issue plays in their district. Um, 
and what the message is people are going to receive from the vote that they take. And so uh, one of the, the things that the opponents are really good at doing is uh, taking this issue and making it an issue about the message that we send to children, um, the dangers that we increase for our society. And so uh, people, whether they're Democrat or Republican, have to wrestle with that. Um, and I don't think it's as easy as some people would assume it is just because your title is a D or an R to vote one way or the other. Uh, when we think about other states, we're going to be benchmarking, looking at California, Massachusetts. Legalizing marijuana um, has led to some negative results. Uh, first up, uh, tax revenue hasn't been as big as uh, lawmakers had thought. Uh, also, you uh, uh, referenced you know, a host of public health and, and safety concerns. Also, how do you keep this drug out of uh, teenagers' hands if it is legalized? Um, how have you reconciled those questions, Senator Winfield? So I've, I've been looking at, and this leads me into the equity conversation, I've been looking at the history of uh, marijuana and why it's legal or not legal. Um, and that takes me back to the 1930s uh, with Harry Aslinger um, and the efforts to make a drug that in America was legal, illegal. Um, and after Prohibition ended, um, he ran a portion of the government that dealt with it. Uh, and so he needed a way to basically stay in business. Uh, you had uh, Mexicans coming into the country uh, who used the uh, cannabis drug, um, and he was uh, able to use the fact that Mexicans were coming into the country, the fear of the other, similar to what we're talking about in America right now, uh, and the fact that uh, blacks used it to uh, stoke racial fears. Um, and that's when you went from talking about cannabis to marijuana, using the Spanish word for it, right? So um, you, we talk often about the racialization of this issue uh, going back to the 1970s under uh, uh, President Nixon, uh, but this goes back very far. And it's also something people don't always think about. Uh, part of the reason that you um, have the notion that jazz, the, that music form, uh, is uh, proliferated with drugs because uh, at the time when they were talking about blacks getting out of their place, one of the things they focused on was that type of music and also what this drug would make black people do with white women. It's good to have the context and know the history um, as uh, Connecticut lawmakers are again debating whether uh, it should be, I think, the 11th state to legalize mm -hmm. recreational marijuana. Uh, but when you are uh, sitting uh, at the Judiciary Committee as co-chair, when you have your public hearings and you have you hear from opponents who worry about the societal impact mm -hmm. of what it, the message it sends to young people, I mean, how do you respond to those concerns? I listen. Um, I take them into account. And then I do think about how we got here. I think that's important. Uh, I think that we got here not because of uh, those issues. We didn't get here because of the public safety concerns. We didn't get here. And by here, I mean uh, with the current uh, uh, justice scheme, if you will. Uh, we did not get here because we were concerned about children. We got here because uh, it was useful to uh, things that people in this country wanted to do. Um, and I look at the science. And so people present um, reports in front of the Judiciary Committee. I have um, read a lot of the reports. Uh, and I notice that uh, they will bring to us reports that are coming from people with an interest on one side or the other. And I've asked, why don't we use what would be more neutral reports? So when we look at Colorado, there's a report uh, that's often brought up to uh, tell us what's going on in Colorado. But when I look at the public health department's uh, data, it doesn't con uh, 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 line up with what is being presented to me. And so I have to question, uh, with all due respect to the fact that people are coming to us to provide an opinion, I have to question uh, why they're presenting the information in a way they're presenting it. It should be neutral. Mm -hmm. And even some of the medical studies, right? So uh, you're not allowed to use cannabis uh, directly. So uh, the use of THC, 
separate from other cannabinoids uh, means that it can't operate in a synergistic way that smoking the plant would uh, uh, be working. And so that data is useful. But it's not necessarily as instructive, I think, as people believe it is. You mentioned the science, a lot of science in the past decade on uh, how kids' brains develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know marijuana, obviously illegal today, but kids are still finding ways to get it and smoke it. Um, any worry that if it becomes legal in the state of Connecticut, more uh, teenagers will uh, be somehow getting their hands on it and what it does to their brain development? What do we know about that? Uh, so we, we know a lot about the teenage brain. It's interesting that, and, and I will say this because I think it's uh, interesting for context, uh, that for the last decade or so in the Judiciary Committee, uh, we've been talking about the development of the uh, human brain and what happens before the age of 25 or 27, depending on whether you're talking about males or females. Um, that has not held as much sway as I would hope it would have uh, when we're talking about locking our kids up. When it comes to the issue of marijuana, all of a sudden, uh, we have a conversation about what happens with the development of uh, the human brain. Interesting. I will leave that there. Um, I'm concerned about the development of the child brain. Uh, I don't want children engaging in the usage of marijuana, uh, just like I don't want children engaging in the use of uh, alcohol. Uh, I don't want children engaging in the use of cigarettes, and we make those things illegal, and we put in place punishments so that uh, we can deter it. Uh, And so that's part of what you see happening here in Connecticut. The other thing that we're doing in Connecticut is you'll notice that we don't have uh, the ability in Connecticut to have gummies and other things that are enticing the children uh, like they are in other places. So what Connecticut is trying to do, and, and nothing is perfect, What we are trying to do is make sure that uh, this is not something that is enticing the children. And as you suggested, children are already getting uh, cannabis as we speak. And we don't know what form of cannabis they're getting either. You're hearing State Senator Gary Winfield. Uh, He represents New Haven and and West Haven, also co-chair of the Judiciary Committee. Uh, There are several bills before the Connecticut General Assembly that are looking at uh, uh, legalization of recreational marijuana. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266, or you can find us on Facebook Live, also at Twitter, uh, at Where We Live. Uh, So let's talk a little bit more about, so we know there's uh, these several bills. Uh, I know you'd mentioned uh, the General uh, Law Committee committee uh, passed out a bill that would relate to the establishment of a uh, cannabis control commission. Mm -hmm. So looking at how to issue licenses for cultivation, manufacture and sale of marijuana for recreational use. There is the companion legislation before your uh, committee, Senator Winfield, uh, that looking at uh, possibly um, how it could be wiping clean the criminal records of certain low-level drug offenders. Uh, Why does that piece need to be there as Connecticut considers legalization? I think this goes back to the conversation I was beginning to have about Aslinger and the, the racialized um, nature of uh, marijuana, uh, dealing with mar- marijuana or cannabis in this country. Um, and so le- let me continue on. So all of the things that I said about Aslinger were true, but what he continued on to do uh, was in the 1950s to create, to help to create uh, mandatory minimums for uh, the use of uh, uh, certain types of drugs. Um, Again, this was racialized. And then you move up into the 1970s under uh, President Nixon. So, so Nixon uh, has a commission because Nixon wants to know what's really going on uh, with cannabis. Uh, the commission comes back and tells them that it should not be uh, illegal, and Nixon ignores the commission. Um, and in a, in a few years back, we know that one of uh, Nixon's aides told us that they knew 
uh, that they should not be doing what they were doing, but they were concerned about those people who were anti-war, the hippies and the blacks, right? So again, you have this racial component. And so we have constructively created a system that disproportionately imprisons black people for the same things that other people do. Uh, I think if we're going to make that drug uh, a legal drug now, we have a responsibility to go back and deal with uh, the context in which we live and the decisions we've made. And so that's where equity comes in. Uh, I want to say that uh, this equity conversation is a conversation that some of us in the legislature have been having, but it's owed largely to the work of people who are outside of the legislature who've been pushing on it. So you have QRCT, you have Normal, you have others who are doing a lot of work, and they are the ones who have been really uh, strong about pushing this conversation, particularly this year. Mm. Again, you can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, uh, at Where We Live. Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, and we're going to talk more about uh, equity and this idea of wiping the records of low-level drug offenders, something that other states um, have looked at or have done, like California. Uh, but before we head to break, uh, Senator Winfield, uh, you know, Connecticut, like many states, I think 33 and all, have medical marijuana programs. Um, if Connecticut were to legally recreational marijuana, what happens to the medical marijuana program? Uh, could it be decimated? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I'm, now, here's why I'm not as much of an expert, but um, general law has been looking at this and trying to make sure that um, we don't decimate uh, the program that we currently have because it's important. Uh, we have people who uh, depend on uh, cannabis as a medicine, and I don't think anybody wants to do anything that would uh, upend that program. And so um, they're looking at it. They're looking at allowing uh, those who are already engaged in uh, the system we have uh, to uh, be close to first at uh, getting licensed in the legal sense uh, and and other things. So I, I think, and again, I think everybody who's done legalization thought they got it right. Uh, but I think we are trying to learn from what has happened in other places uh, and put as much of that into what we're doing here in Connecticut to make sure that we don't wind up uh, with unintended consequences. Let's take a call. Uh, Gino from Lebanon. Lebanon, actually. Gino, go ahead. Hi. Yes, um, I have two questions, actually. Uh, first being that um, as far as CDL drivers are concerned, um, as a driver, you can, you can have alcoholic beverages, you can have prescription uh, drugs, and still drive. Obviously, you can't do that while you can't have the alcohol while you're driving. Um, but uh, marijuana still is illegal to test in your system. Uh, that's the first question. And the second question is, some states have adopted gun laws uh, pertaining to medical marijuana, whereas if you if you register for uh, a medical marijuana card, you are no longer you forfeit your right to own a gun. Is that something Connecticut does or looks to enforce in the future? Thank you, Gino. Um, so I think that I just want to make sure I have it right. I think your question on uh, cannabis and the CDL is whether or not um, we have some some form of protection given the way that cannabis metabolizes in the system. Um, I think that's something that we're looking at. I know it came up in our public hearing that we had uh the public hearing must have been about a week and a half ago. Um, I don't know ultimately what the answer is going to be on that. I think that's one. I would say this on this conversation about cannabis. There's still a lot of open questions um, and these bills are still being 
worked on. So I want people to understand that as we move forward, uh, what is in these bills is not the the finite uh, conclusion that we've come to. We are still listening um, and learning and attempting to get it right as we go. Um, so I would say pay very close attention because that w- is very much an open question. Um, on gun laws, there's a lot of conversation about uh, gun laws, particularly with um, expungement. So people are concerned about uh, whether expungement would allow people who might not ha- be able to have a gun to get their gun back. Um, I would say to people that currently under the system, if you have a pardon, if your record's completely erased, that th- there's potential there. So the answer to that is yes. Um, I am not looking to take away someone's gun because they have a, a medical marijuana certificate. To me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and I think the state of Connecticut uh, largely is where I am. But as we move forward, we'll see. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. In studio with me today, State Senator Gary Winfield, co-chair of the Judiciary Committee in the Connecticut General Assembly. Uh, coming up, we're going to learn more about how other states have dealt with legal pot and have worked to wipe the criminal records of low-level drug offenders. What's your take? You can join us, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook Live or Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're looking at the details that need to be ironed out before Connecticut lawmakers approve recreational marijuana. The debate is not just centered on whether to approve legalization or figuring out how much to tax pot sales. As my guest, State Senator Gary Winfield, pointed out earlier, legalization discussion should also include the topic of expungement or clearing the records of people convicted of nonviolent marijuana crimes. The Washington Post reports at least nine states, including including Colorado, Maryland, and Oregon have made it easier to have some marijuana charges sealed or thrown out completely. Why is this important? So joining us now via Skype is Jenny Roberts, professor of law at American University's Washington's College of Law. She teaches criminal law and co-directs the Criminal Justice Clinic. Uh, Jenny, welcome to our show. Thank you. So uh, when we look at uh, the history of not only marijuana usage, but also laws in our country, uh, why, why should people think of this uh, debate, recreational marijuana, whether to legalize it or not, uh, as a justice equity issue? Sure. Well, I mean, the, the issue of just taking criminalization off the table is itself, of course, a, a justice issue. Um, the senator spoke um, eloquently about the history of marijuana prosecutions in the United States. And that's definitely part of considering the entire social justice picture. Um, but then there's the issue of how do you remedy wrongs of the past? If, if this has been something that was imposed in a discriminatory manner and the evidence is very clear empirically that that has happened, um, then what else do you have to do? What else do you have to put in your bill Um, to deal with those past problems. And expungement or sealing, or as they call it in Connecticut, erasure, these are all names for different variations on some kind of closing off of access to prior criminal records is one piece of that puzzle, but it's just one piece of it. 
Uh, you know, in Connecticut, you pointed this out to us, uh, Jenny Roberts, uh, that um, after Connecticut decriminalized, uh, uh, I believe it's a, up to half an ounce of marijuana back in uh, 2011, uh, there were a couple of, of people who had been convicted who petitioned uh, the court uh, to expunge their two misdemeanor marijuana convictions to be considered only violations. Uh, one of the cases, uh, State of Connecticut versus Mendito, made it to the state Supreme Court, and they ruled in the petition favor back in 2015. So, Senator Winfield, um, if expungement is allowed, why do we need to have in this particular bill? Um, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's important that we, so let me just say this. I, I did not speak about, it's interesting your guest mentioned something that I was sitting here saying I should have spoken about in my head, uh, about the rest of equity. Okay. Um, I think as part of the equity uh, issue, there is expungement and making the process easy. Uh, so what this bill that we have before us would do is say, look, if you have this in your past, all you have to do basically is get an affidavit because it's not easy to do in Connecticut automatic expungement. You just have to have an affidavit and it's automatic. You don't have to go through the process. You don't have to hope for it. We make sure there's a clear path to expungement. Uh, but it's part of an entire scheme, including equity applicants, including uh, first blush at um, being able to be in the system and some other things. So I think it's just a portion of an entire equity package. Uh, Jenny Roberts, uh, when we think about uh, how uh, misdemeanors and, and felonies, even after someone has uh, served their time, how that follows them throughout life, can you walk us through um, how these convictions are impacting them years later? Sure. Um, well, there are things called collateral consequences, which might be better called hidden or sometimes unintended consequences. Um, so when you have a criminal charge and you get sentenced by the judge, maybe it's time served, maybe it's um, pay a fine and you go right to the clerk's office and pay that fine. That's your direct sentence. Of course, there can be prison and other more serious sentences, but let me take something small. You're done with your direct sentence. You walk out of the courthouse door. Well, that case is not over. And it's particularly not over today because we have had an explosion of two things. One, criminal records that have been put online and are now very easily accessible to just about anyone. And that's a huge difference in this country um, from just 10, 15 years ago. Um, and the second thing is we have a, an explosion in what are called the collateral consequences of a criminal conviction or really of just any criminal charge. And those are all the things other than what the judge imposed on you as the sentence. So um, you can be deported for a uh, criminal conviction. You can, for a small marijuana um, conviction, you can lose your access for a year or more to federal student loans. Um, and so these are just some examples of the myriad things that can happen to someone when they walk out of the courthouse that they may not even know about. This is where we live. Uh, today we're talking about the debate behind legalization of marijuana. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook Live or at Twitter at where we live. Uh, you know, uh, New York state lawmakers are also debating legalization. Senator Winfield, uh, the New York Times uh, reporting that uh, something that you alluded to, uh, just because uh, a lawmaker is a Democrat in Connecticut doesn't mean this is going to pass uh, uh, in our state, but uh, some uh, black uh, New York uh, 
lawmakers have said that legalization won't even really correct disparity when they look at a Colorado study that found black people in that state were still arrested twice as often as, as whites for possession. How do you respond to that point? I'm unfazed by it because I'm not surprised. Um, the the disparities that we see in our system aren't just about a drug or just about uh, any particular part of the system. The disparities that we see in our system are about the racism that is part of uh, what goes on in this country. And so it's built into the very system. So you take away um, uh, the ability for us to punish black people differently uh, in this one way, but every other way it still exists. And that's why there are people who uh, look at the criminal justice system and they're uh, complete abolitionists. Um, and while I don't function in that way in the General Assembly, I am very sympathetic to them because I recognize uh, the supremacy of the white identity in our system and what it means for black people. To our conversation, 860-275-7266. Uh, another state rep is calling in, or a state lawmaker. Oh, I don't think he's there anymore, uh, but we'll try to fit in that call in just a little bit. Um, so let's just walk through the bill before the Judiciary Committee. So we're talking about expungement. Again, mm -hmm. uh, wiping uh, the records of uh, low-level drug offenders uh, related to marijuana mm -hmm. uh, convictions. But then there's also the economic development side. Can you talk about that? Uh, so the Judiciary Committee doesn't really deal with the economic development side. That is going to be um, dealt with in a general law bill mostly and I guess partially in the uh, finance bill, which is talking about the taxation. Um, so, uh, again, we, we have uh, – and this is all to be flushed out. If you look at some of the language in the bill, everything is not as concrete as some people might like it to be. Uh, but there is going to be the Cannabis Commission, which is going to set up – uh, how do you apply? It's going to have uh, the normal application process. It's going to also have equity applicants uh, who are going to have a lower um, entrance fee, if you will, who are also going to uh, be able to apply three months before the normal applicants. Uh, you're also going to have uh, outside the normal applicants, you're going to have those who are already in uh, the uh, the medical system who are also going to uh, be able to apply. Uh, it looks to try to uh, reduce, if you will, some of the harm that has happened to communities that have disproportionate uh, uh, rates of arrest. So there's a lot of that language built into the bill because what it's saying is that uh, we should be studying what the impact of the scheme that we, uh, that the, uh, we, we should, the Cannabis Commission should be studying the impact of the scheme that we uh, legalize uh, and should be making efforts beyond just the equity applicants uh, to make sure that there's still access for development in those communities based on uh, what happens as we move forward. Uh, we're getting a Facebook question. I wanted to pose this to our guest, uh, Jenny Roberts, who's with American University Criminal Justice uh, uh, and Law Professor there. Uh, Melvin Medina, who I believe uh, is with the ACLU, writes, is there a need for anti-discrimination protections because of the possibility that someone may lose a job or housing due to public records that reveal past criminal charges even after expungement? So how exactly does expungement work? Would that still be uh, discoverable, uh, Jenny? Pretty much everything is discoverable on some level these days with um, electronic criminal records. Once they're captured by um, a data um, aggregator or worst case scenario by a sort of mugshots.com uh, type of organization, 
um, they may or may not update once uh, the case is expunged. That would require them to go back into their database and do the correction. Um, and so sometimes, of course, this information gets out there no matter what. And so the writer raises a really good point. If information is out there, are there other protections that need to be put in place? Um, and a variety of states do have those kinds of protections, which say things like um, an employer may not ask someone about an arrest that didn't lead to a conviction, which of course makes sense in our system where we um, have a presumption of innocence. Um, if someone's not convicted, they haven't been proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, so we wouldn't want that to be used. Um, in um, other jurisdictions, you might have a law that says employers um, can't take convictions into account unless and until um, it things reach a stage of a job offer and there's a nexus between the type of past um, criminal offense and the job and so there's a really wide range from not from no protection to quite um, rigorous protections um, in some places across the country this is where we live. Today we're learning more about efforts to legalize marijuana here in our state. In studio, State Senator Gary Winfield, who co-chairs the Judiciary Committee. And on the phone, Jenny Roberts, American University professor of law and who co-directs the Criminal Justice Clinic there. Uh, join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Joe's calling from New Haven. Joe, go ahead. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me on. I have two questions about the expungement. One is, and these are based on reports I heard about the proposed bills, one is um, why we're not just expunging everybody's record who had a nonviolent conviction, because I heard that the amount that's going to be expunged or the, the penalty is something like half an ounce, where the personal use amount in Connecticut for decades was four ounces. So why not have it there or all nonviolent offenses? And then also it was reported that you have to apply for expungement and why not save the state money and the people who were convicted the additional effort and just have the state wipe them out automatically. Those are my two questions. Thank you, Joe. Uh, Senator Winfield. So, uh, Joe, those are really good questions. Um, initially, that's what we wanted to do, automatic expungement. Uh, what we discovered in uh, trying to figure out how this would work uh, was that the system we have in Connecticut is cumbersome. Uh, and that is to say that it is not easy to know that the uh, uh, the the usage of the drug was uh, cannabis. Um, when you go back and you look, it's not uh, clearly delineated as cannabis. And so uh, we can't go back and say uh, that the usage of this illicit drug is cannabis. And so we had to figure out a way that uh, would still allow for expungement. And that's when we came up with if uh, the person who uh, has a cannabis conviction uh, swears on an affidavit on a, under the penalty of perjury that it was a cannabis uh, conviction, then we're going to say that's good enough for us, and the judge must then uh, allow for the expungement. Uh, you can join our conversation again. Find us on Facebook Live or Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, now, we know Massachusetts legalization has definitely influenced the debate here in Connecticut. Uh, Bay State officials are still working on the equity issues. For more, I want to welcome back to the show uh, Dan Adams, who is the cannabis reporter uh, for the Boston Globe. Dan, are you there? 
Uh, I'm here, Lucy. Thanks for having me back. Uh, so thanks for coming back on. So uh, we're talking about uh, equity uh, in this uh, conversation uh, as Connecticut tries to uh, legalize marijuana. Um, that was something that's been brought up in Massachusetts, and I believe the law there uh, tried to address uh, equity. How's that turned out? That's right. So equity is actually considered a, uh, a cornerstone of our legalization law here in Massachusetts. Uh, but the devil has really proved to be in the details and the implementation. That's proved to be quite tricky. And uh, to date, we don't have very many license holders who uh, you know, might fall into that sort of equity category. And so uh, why has that happened um, in terms of the Cannabis Control uh, Commission? Uh, you know, what are they uh, having to deal with uh, today in terms of not only looking at uh, wiping uh, records of people with nonviolent uh, records, but also we talked about the economic development side, uh, but leaving, trying to get more women uh, and minorities, veterans in this legal industry, that has also been a struggle. That's right. It's really been difficult on all fronts. So uh, just briefly on the point of expungement, uh, in Massachusetts, we had a criminal justice reform bill that passed last year, and uh, similar to the proposal you were just discussing in Connecticut, that allows people to apply for expungement, uh, but we do not have an automatic process here. Um, in, in terms of equity in the industry, uh, again, that was a cornerstone of our, our law. Uh, what's happened is that uh, these two programs that the state had, uh, one was supposed to give licensing priority to these companies, and the other uh, would have provided technical training, so help finding uh, you know, a source of funding, help finding real estate, help writing a business plan, um, some of the general things that you need to get a business off the ground. Um, you know, the, the empowerment program, which was supposed to give licensing priority, what ended up happening is that, that people just haven't been able to apply under that program because before they can apply, they need to go uh, negotiate a host community agreement with the city or town where they want to set up. And in order to do that, they've got to have a property locked down. So now you're talking about people sort of, you know, sitting on a property for weeks or months at a time while they're um, negotiating these local permits and these local contracts. Um, that's proved to be very difficult for people who are from communities that are historically disenfranchised, where they don't have ready access to capital. They don't have uh, relatives or friends or others in their network who are um, you know, able to help finance those things. And uh, with federal prohibition, of course, you can't go and get a small business loan from the bank uh, like you would for any other kind of a business. And so uh, despite the noble intentions of these programs um, and despite a lot of political support for them, um, they have so far sort of fallen down um, again in the execution where the access to money, the access to real estate, the difficult local process, th these have kept people from even being able to apply in the first place. You've mentioned uh, several structural barriers uh, in place. You were part of a, a recent spotlight investigation that found, uh, despite these rules uh, that the Cannabis uh, Commission has put forth and has uh, worked into the law, actually big corporations uh, are, um, you know, have a hold on uh, the cannabis industry. It's not the, the small uh, entrepreneurs. So tell, us, uh, tell us what you found. Uh, that's right. So I worked on this uh, with my colleagues uh, over the recent months, and what we did is we, we looked at a couple of very large cannabis operators, so-called multi-state operators, um, that are expanding into Massachusetts. And uh, so, you know, one part of the sort of equity laws here, or actually I should just say the marijuana laws in Massachusetts, we have a limit on the number of licenses that any one company can hold. Uh, so you can only have three retail marijuana stores. Um, but these very large companies... Um, 
you know, have bumped up against that cap. And what we found is that they are using management contracts and uh, loans uh, at high interest rates and other sort of financial uh, instruments to become very closely affiliated with more than three retail stores, or I should say more than three proposed retail stores. Um, and so they are sort of threatening to expand uh, potentially beyond that cap. Now, if you have operators who are able to sort of, uh, you, know, you know, bust out and, and get beyond that cap, well, now you've got a marketplace where a handful of companies are controlling huge you know, amounts of product on the market, huge amounts of the retail shelf space uh, in the market. That lets them potentially uh, you know, move the price of cannabis around. Uh, it just gives them a lot more leverage over regulators and over the market. Um, and, it, and they also are now taking up spots that, um, that, uh, you know, that an equity applicant potentially could fill. You know, they're, they're occupying those spaces. You know, a lot of towns have very restrictive zoning where there's only a few parcels that are actually available for this activity. And so if those landlords have rented their, uh, their spaces to these larger companies, uh, it's easy to see why a smaller player could have trouble breaking in there. Dan Adams is a cannabis reporter for the Boston Globe. In studio with me, State Senator uh, Gary Winfield. Uh, Senator Winfield, how do you respond to this investigation in Massachusetts where uh, you see these uh, big corporations being able to take over the market, even though that wasn't the intent? Mm -hmm. I think that that is absolutely something we will probably wrestle with here in Connecticut. We have limited um, uh, licenses as well, uh, limited the number of licenses an individual may have. Um, we have th- we're looking. We actually looked at Massachusetts to um, be instructive to us, um, and I think that as we move forward with this, uh, we're going to wrestle with it. Again, I will tell people uh, as much as I am a proponent of uh, the legalization of marijuana, there are going to be things, as with anything else we do, that just don't turn out right. I think part of the the responsibility of the legislature is to. Uh, continue to have responsibility over this. And that is to say, unlike some of the other things we do, implementation shouldn't happen absent the legislature. Uh, when there are problems, we have the ability in the future to go back uh, and legislate things that deal with those problems. Uh, are we going to get it all correct? No. I mean, you're, what you're really looking to do when you're talking about equity is tear down a long part, a part of our history that didn't just start 30, 40 years ago. Um, and so in order to do that, it's going to take a lot. Uh, and people have to understand that uh, we're probably not going to get it perfect in the beginning. Mm. Uh, but it, it is something that I'm committed to, and I know many of my colleagues are committed to. Uh, and the people who put the pressure on us are not going to go away, and I don't think they should. Uh, and I think that's going to help us to do a better job than we otherwise would. Uh, Dan Adams, uh, are there takeaways for Connecticut in terms of even the idea of access to capital for minority entrepreneurs? Should the state uh, come up with a, uh, you know, taking some of that revenue if uh, marijuana is legalized uh, and that revenue be a source for to help these entrepreneurs uh, get into business? Is that a, a, a pie in the sky uh, kind of idea when we think of Connecticut with their fiscal issues? Uh, well, I certainly wouldn't uh, uh, pretend that it's my place to uh, tell Connecticut what kind of law to pass. Uh, but, uh, you know, I can say that we are talking in Massachusetts now, yes, about potentially um, providing some sort of a public funding mechanism for these smaller startups. Um, and that would be, you know, that's an area where a state would be stepping in to fill a gap created by federal law. Again, because the drug is illegal at the federal level and because you then cannot go to a bank and, and get a loan for these companies, um, Massachusetts and other states are, are, you know, tossing around the idea of, you know, how do you direct public money uh, to these startups in a way that's 
fair in a way where you're not, um, you know, g- gambling taxpayer money on, uh, you know, sort of a speculative business. Um, and so in Massachusetts, uh, <clears throat> there's a bill before the legislature that that would do this. The Cannabis Control Commission is also um, looking at it. And the, the idea would be to take the money out of marijuana tax revenue so that it would just be a percentage of uh, what a consumer pays when he or she goes to buy uh, cannabis. You would see, uh, you know, sort of a line on your receipt for the state tax and some portion of that would be diverted back to these uh, companies. And, you, you know, that's that, that sort of goes to what we were talking about a moment ago uh, with the Spotlight Report. These larger companies have no problem at all getting huge amounts of capital, um, and and you see the consequences of uh, when they are able to uh, come into this space with very little competition and and um, you know sort of sort of scoop up a lot of these different licenses. So Dan Adams does not want to tell you what to do, Senator Winfield. Uh, what do you think of that idea? Um, I think it's a great idea. I think it's, and I will say it's part of the conversation currently. Again, Connecticut has the, the good fortune in some ways of having seen what others have already done and the successes and failures. And so um, that is part of the conversation. There are going to be, <laughs> I'm going to spend a lot of time in rooms with other people talking about this. Um, and we will see what comes out of it. But I think it's an important part of the conversation because we recognize the barriers. And that's why we're talking about equity. And so if we recognize those barriers, one of the barriers that we see all of the time when we talk about any of this stuff is an economic barrier. And so if we're going to be uh, yielding whatever monies we're going to yield, and they're probably less than people say, but if we're going to be yielding those monies, we should funnel some of those monies back into the system to make sure that the equity applicants actually are able to be successful. Uh, Mike from Colchester is calling in. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, hi. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I wouldn't think it's a reach to say that uh, the bipartisan support we're seeing in, in the legislatures today is largely largely due to the uh, potential tax rev- revenue that this would bring in. And uh, I was recently up in Massachusetts, and I thought I'd check out, you know, what, what's it like to buy marijuana legally? And I, I looked into the process, and it was a, really an involved process. It took a lot of time. And I have to think that they're losing a lot of tax revenue to street corner dealers. You know, um, I don't know why Connecticut wouldn't make it easier to buy. The restriction was you have to be 21. We already have places that only sell stuff to people that are 21. And, and why wouldn't package stores be able to sell little packages that had a tax stamp on it? Uh, I don't know why we'd have to make such an elaborate process. Well, Mike, thank you uh, for your call. Uh, Senator Winfield, do you want to respond quickly before we head to break? I think I missed part of that, part of that but it, sound, it sounded to me uh, as if the way that we're constructing the law is too much of a barrier. And it, it's, part of that was about the age. And, and so I hope what the, the caller is not saying is that uh, we should uh, allow the age to be younger. Uh, because I, I, we talked a lot about the development of the human brain, and so we take that into account. Uh, and so uh, we have a lot of things we have to balance here. It's not just how much tax revenue we're going to get. It's also the impact on our young people. It's, it is safety. It is uh, repercussions from the way we've done things in the past. And so all of those things are part of the mix here, and that's why you're going to get out of the mix what you're getting out of this mix. But could that uh, indeed uh, impact uh, expected revenue if uh, – uh, you know, marijuana on the street is much cheaper to get. 
Well, I think that that is part of the way that these systems work. And over time, uh, the market, uh, if we set it up correctly, the prices of uh, cannabis will uh, lower. And if you get the price down to a certain point, uh, it's it's it makes sense that if uh, it's a competitive price, I'm going to go for legal versus illegal cannabis because there are consequences to uh, dealing with illegal ca- cannabis. We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, I want to thank Dan Adams for joining us by phone, cannabis reporter for the Boston Globe. Dan, thank you. Thanks, Lucy. Uh, We're going to continue our conversation with Senator Gary Winfield, also Jenny Roberts, who's professor of law at American University's Washington College of Law. We're going to talk more about expungement and how other states like California, how even Colorado have dealt with this issue. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook Live and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We've been talking about efforts to legalize marijuana in Connecticut, learning why some lawmakers, including State Senator Gary Winfield, are pushing for equity to be part of the discussion before legalization happens. Now, California has been a leader in a movement to wipe the criminal records of nonviolent drug offenders. Uh, on the phone with us, I'm sorry, via Skype, is uh, Jenny Roberts, professor of law at American University's Washington College of Law. She also co-directs the Criminal Justice Clinic. So. Uh, Tell us uh, how uh, California has dealt with this equity issue, Jenny. Right. Well, I think it's really important because Connecticut can learn from California and from the other states where they have really had to revisit the issue of expungement or, again, as Connecticut calls it, erasure. So before I talk about California, um, I think it's just important to think about what you're trying to do when you pass an expungement or erasure law. Um, And if you're passing it because you really want to remove barriers that are posed by a marijuana possession conviction, um, then to get to that goal, you want to make this something that people can and will avail themselves of. So if you're finding that there are barriers because you have to file a petition or pay a fee or even sign an affidavit, as in Connecticut, which requires coming in and signing an affidavit um, and and affirmatively um, moving forward on it, then you might want to take another approach. And that's really what happened in California. So when California um, legalized marijuana um, by by the by the proposition 64 there was a provision that allowed individuals with a conviction for conduct that now was going to be legal in california or was going to be a lesser offense to petition the court to dismiss and seal the case or redesignate it as a lesser offense well very few people did that very few people came forward and actually filed those petitions you have to go to the court where you were convicted you have to you know, file an actual petition in some states, not all, you have to pay a fee for that. Um, And so what happened in California is some jurisdictions like San Francisco decided to go forward on their own and work to identify eligible cases for expungement and to go forward with those expungements themselves. Um, 
And lo and behold, two years later, um, after legalization in California in 2018, California did enact a law that does what some jurisdictions like San Francisco had been doing on the local level. They, the law requires the California Department of Justice to go through and identify cases that are eligible for either sealing or redesignation or resentencing. Um, this is gonna be done, is being done on a state level. And by July of this year, the state then has to notify each county prosecutor and say, hey, here's the list of eligible cases. Take a look. If you want to oppose because someone's ineligible or under their law an unreasonable risk to public safety, then go ahead and oppose. Otherwise, the court must grant the sealing of, of um, the cases that are on the list. Um, so I think California learned its lesson that people don't actually come forward and file these petitions for clearing of the record. And if what you want as a state is for people to clear the record so that they can enter not only the marijuana industry, but frankly, so that they can get jobs and pay taxes, um, then you might take that approach. I'll also point out in Colorado, um, we see in um, the, the same sort of thing happening. You have to petition to seal records. Um, and that's just not happening. People aren't coming forward and doing that. There's also a filing fee there, which could be a barrier. Um, and so recently at the end of last year, um, the city of Denver announced that it is going to have some kind of program put in place. And I'm not sure if that's mm. happened yet. I don't think so. Um, to deal with um, more than 10,000 records um, for low-level drug convictions in Denver that um, happened between 2001 and 13. So, um, so I think Connecticut's got to take a very close look at these other states and really, um, I, I understand Senator Winfield's point that, um, you know, there is, it, it's somewhat of a burden for the state to figure out who was convicted of marijuana and who wasn't. But I, I think we have evidence, and I imagine it'll play out the same way in Connecticut, that um, without automatic expungement, you're just not going to see records being erased. Uh, thank you, Jenny Roberts, for uh, that context uh, happening in other states. Senator Winfield, do you want to respond? Because you did talk about uh, how it may be difficult mm -hmm. in Connecticut to do automatic expungement. But as Jenny Roberts um, uh, has said, uh, evidence shows that if it's not automatic, it's not going to get done. Mm -hmm. I, I, I take her point. Uh, I'm, I, I'm agreeing with her point. Uh, so as we've been having these conversations about the way in which we are approaching uh, expungement, uh, a lot of people have uh, evidenced the same concern that uh, the guest can, uh, ev uh, brings up. Uh, and so we're still in the process of trying to figure out how to do this. Um, again, the reason why we did it in the way that we did it is because of the opaque nature of figuring out uh, what the charge actually was. Um, and I will add to that that Connecticut uh, is opaque in every way when it comes to the criminal justice system. Data is not uh, our friend. Um, but there are still conversations about what we can do. And there are people who are trying to come up with approaches that make it uh, either actually uh, automatic or more automatic than what we are currently doing. And so as this goes forward, you will probably hear new proposals about what we're trying to do. Uh, speaking of which, uh, this uh, bill we've been talking about specifically before the Judiciary Committee for a vote, uh, April 12th? April 12th is the last day. Hopefully we're not voting on that day. Well, I want to thank uh, Senator Winfield for coming in to talk about uh, some of the questions surrounding legalization. Again, he's co-chair of the Judiciary Committee, and he represents New Haven and West Haven. Senator Winfield, thank you. Thank you for having me. Also to uh, Jenny Roberts via Skype, professor of law at American University's Washington College of Law. Jenny, thank you. 
Thank you for having me. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Thanks to Lydia Brown on the phones. Our technical producer is Kion Wolf. Learn more about the show at wmpr.org slash where we live.